Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Suzanne Spradley, and I'm here with my colleague, Chase Cannon. We are both attorneys with the Benefits Compliance Department at NFP. And today we are going to discuss some recent hot news that relates to the ACA's employer mandate. Earlier this month, the IRS began sending out letters to employers that address uh, employer mandate penalties, and we've already seen a few of them. At uh, One was uh, over a million dollars, so they certainly are going to raise the attention of the employers. Um, it's a big development in the ACA and the employer mandate world. So Chase, let's start with uh, some background on these penalties. Yeah, so let's lay it out. We've been talking about the employer mandate now for like the past seven years. And so this idea and requirement that larger employers have to identify their full-time employees, which are those uh, working 30 hours a week, and offer them coverage. So we've been addressing questions on whether certain types of employees are full-time, whether certain measurement and stability periods are allowed, whether coverage would be considered of minimum value or affordable, and all of that's been um, leading up to this. But the mandate took effect back in 2015 for most employers. There was a slight delay for non-calendar year plans and for smaller employers between 50 and 100 employees. Um, but that's kind of the date that we're working from here is 2015 when it comes to when did the mandate actually apply. Um, but employers have worked tirelessly to understand all those rules and um, there was actually some question as to whether the employer mandate would actually ever be enforced. And if we look back to the beginning of this year, President Trump issued his executive order asking agencies to do what they can to avoid the burdens of the ACA. And so some thought that that might mean the IRS would take a less um, stringent position with respect to enforcing the employer mandate. Uh, Congress debated endlessly, it seemed, this year whether they might repeal the ACA or at least the employer and individual mandates. So we thought maybe that would be uh, some relief here for the employer mandate, uh, but that never happened. And so now, finally, we are actually starting to see the IRS act on its enforcement obligations. They are starting to send letters to employers regarding potential employer mandate penalties. And I say potential because this is slightly different than a tax assessment at this point. Oh, that's a good point. So, um, Chase, tell me what's in the notice and uh, talk about whether it's a tax assessment or a penalty. Right. So this is a great question. Uh, The notice is actually called IRS Letter 226J, and I have no idea where they came up with that lettering uh, and numbering, but it's not a tax assessment yet. Um, It's slightly different than the IRS sending out a demand payment uh, letter. Um, So it's basically the IRS saying, we've reviewed your 1094C and your 1095Cs, and we reviewed information from the exchanges, and we believe that you, Mr. Employer, owe us X amount for your failure to offer coverage to your full-time employees as required under the employer mandate. So no, it's not an immediate demand for payment of the penalty, but it's really the first step towards that. So I will say Chase comes to us um, prior to being at NFP. He was with the IRS in Washington, D.C., so he has uh, good insight into the workings of the IRS. Um, So it's not a demand for payment yet, but it eventually could become one. Right, That's right. So basically this letter 226J identifies one or more employees who received a premium tax credit through the exchange and for which the employer did not indicate a safe harbor code on Form 1095C. 
and that it includes a potential penalty amount that will be assessed against the employer. So um, I mentioned earlier this, this 2015 was sort of the first year this mandate took effect, so the letters we're seeing now relate to the 2015 calendar year. So on letter 226J, there's a date by which the employer has to respond, and that's an important date. Obviously, anytime you get a letter from a governmental agency and there's a deadline by which you have to respond, pay attention to that. So they have to respond within that 30 days. There are a couple of different forms the employer will have to send to respond, and that's called an, an appeal. Uh, we won't get into the details on the specific numbering with those uh, appeal forms, but it's just the idea is you're opening this conversation with the IRS regarding whether or not the employer actually owes a penalty. Once the IRS receives the response, they then take that information and continue the discussion if they're satisfied with the response, then it could be an end to the discussion. In other words, no penalty. Um, if they're not satisfied, though, they would then proceed to the next step, which would likely be a tax assessment or a formal notice that a tax is due and payable by the employer. So from your experience of what we've seen come through so far, what are the primary reasons that employers are receiving these letters? Is it because they didn't offer coverage? Did they mess up on reporting? What are the triggers? We've only seen a handful so far, so this could change. But what we're seeing is that uh, letter, the letters address mostly information reported on Forms 1094 and 1095C. Uh, for example, one company reported on their 1094C that they did not make an offer of coverage to at least 70% of its full-time full employees. Remember, 70% was the threshold back in 2015 to avoid the higher penalty A. So this company um, actually did offer coverage to all of its full-time employees, or at least that's what they're saying, uh, but the information was reported incorrectly by the payroll vendor on the Form 1094-C, or again, that's what the employer is claiming, that this was a, a, the payroll vendor's fault who they had engaged to do the reporting on their behalf. So, But this really brings up the primary point of this conversation and something that we've been trying to beat the drum on for the past four or five years. If the IRS thinks the employer owes a penalty, if they've sent this letter saying, hey, we have some information here that leads us to believe you didn't offer coverage as you were, requ were required to, then the onus shifts to the employer to prove otherwise. So the burden of proof really is on the employer to show documentation uh, or provide some type of substantiation that the IRS is incorrect in their letter. So I think part of the challenge here is, is when you say that the third-party vendor um, did so incorrectly, I don't know that that will hold water with the IRS. And so it, it, the onus is back on the employer to check what the uh, third-party vendor is doing, I would imagine. Yes, that's a great point. Just because you uh, engage a vendor to do the reporting does not get you as the employer out of um, sort of the end result here, which is did you offer coverage or not? And so let's look at an example. If the IRS takes the position that an employee was employed as a full-time employee and was not offered coverage, and the employer would want to appeal that by claiming that the employee was not actually employed during that time. So in other words, he wasn't the responsibility of the employer. So to support that appeal, the employer would need to have employment records showing the employee's employment dates. Uh, another example would be if the employee was employed but was not actually full-time, so there was, again, no obligation to offer coverage, the employer would need employment records showing hours worked by the employee. 
So then we're talking about time cards, pay stubs, other documentation to substantiate or back up that appeal claim by the employer. It gets a little bit more complicated and a little bit more involved if you start talking about measurement periods. I know a lot of employers uh, choose to exclude variable hour or seasonal employees by measuring them over, let's say, a 12-month period. Well, if the IRS sends a letter saying, guess what, we thought this employee was a full-time employee and you didn't offer coverage and you're relying on a measurement period, well, you, now you need to show the documentation that you actually established a measurement period. So perhaps looking at planned documents and then also the actual hours worked during that measurement period as well as the calculations showing that they did not average 30 hours per week during that measurement period. So this documentation could go on and on depending on the reason for the IRS letter and the reason for the employer's appeal. Um, another major issue that we um, have seen come up and through, throughout the last four or five years, we got, we got a lot of questions on this. What, how do we document a waiver of coverage? Maybe you did offer the coverage and they just chose not to take it. Um, do you have a signed waiver? Do you have some type of record to show that the offer was made and that they either waived it affirmatively or had the chance to enroll and did not, uh, did not enroll? So for some, for some employers, this will not be difficult to go back to 2015 because they've done online enrollment. They have the documentation from those systems to back that up. They've used a tracking system again that was through a tool that pr produces reports on the, those employees who were run through um, the measurement periods. But certainly if you're paper-based, that's going to be much more difficult to um, gather that documentation. Um, so it, it seems like there's really a lot of reasons to have documentation, whether it be to prove that they were full-time or that they were in a measurement period. And this is something that we definitely have tried to hammer home for a long period. We're now seeing it come down to, again, just basic forms of record keeping. Yeah, that's ex exactly the point here. Um, one of the uh, letters that we saw come from the IRS came to the employer, and they, again, said we offered coverage, but they don't have great records to show that. They're putting themselves in a difficult situation in not having those records. So really, this, um, this letter 226J, it's really now where the rubber meets the road for employers. Um, so for, for everyone else in the employer world, though, that's listening right now that has not received a letter 226J, this is a cautious reminder to review your record-keeping uh, record relating to the plan. Are you documenting waivers of coverage? Are you maintaining records that someone was actually enrolled in coverage? Um, what about records of hours worked and these measurement period calculations? All of that could make a huge difference in um, this response to the IRS. Yes, and, and importantly, also make sure that your vendor is reporting it, it correctly on the forms that you have indeed offered coverage to um, uh, the substantially all number of employees, if that is accurate. Make sure that box is checked because that's really what's driving some of these letters today. Um, right. But that begs another question. There is guidance from the IRS that those who have made a good faith effort, effort in reporting will not be penalized. How does that play in here? Yeah, this is a great point and one that we have already come across that question from a client. Uh, but it's important to remember that this good faith effort uh, relief relates to the reporting penalties, not necessarily the employer mandate penalties. So if an employer does everything they can to report on time and they enter a few wrong codes on lines 14, 15, or 16 of 1095C, 
then they can really rely on this good faith effort relief to claim that the reporting penalties should not apply. So keeping those two separate, there's a, a separate uh, tax penalty if you just fail to file Form 1094C or 1095C as you're required. That's a different penalty than what Letter 226J is addressing. That's the penalty under the employer mandate of 4980H of the Internal Revenue Code. So it's separate section of the code, meaning separate penalty, and the good faith effort relief uh, under the reporting does not necessarily apply under the employer mandate penalty. So a reporting error can potentially lead to the IRS assessing a penalty under the employer mandate. We've discussed at least one example of this. Um, because the IRS can take a tax filing on its face, meaning the information on that tax filing can lead them to do something, uh, then becomes the employer's obligation to refute that with the documentation we discussed. So I think what we're seeing a lot of here is some low-hanging fruit for the IRS. It's very easy for them to see a 1094C that indicates no coverage was offered and send a letter 226J and start that process and then the onus shifts to the employer and if they have great records they'll be able to uh, defend themselves if they don't it could potentially lead to an employer mandate penalty thank you chase for giving us a overview of this subject i know it's very timely we certainly are hearing about it from our clients it'll be interesting to see how this plays out through the appeal process we hope none of you receive a letter 226j if you do uh, know that you do have an opportunity to refute that potential penalty so long as you have the proper documentation. Uh, we have suggested certain documentation on the podcast today. The IRS has not um, prescribed a, a specific type of doc documentation that they will review and accept, so we can't tell you for certain what your IRS agent will want to see, what we are giving examples of what they may um, ask for or uh, what may satisfy that. But you will need to work with an outside counsel if you need further confirmation on that or as you work with your IRS agent. We do want to let you know that there we do have a webinar that is live next, next Wednesday on this topic and we do have a white paper as well that you can uh, request from your broker. So that is it for our podcast today and with that we want to say it's a wrap. It's a wrap. Thank you. Thank you.